Good morning. I love that song. I hope that song will resonate with you as we go through this service. It's a great song that goes right along with the message this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rick Butler. I serve in our student community ministry as well as in our first impressions ministry. I am a campus minister on staff with Launch Campus Ministry, formerly known as the Purdue Collegiate Ministry. And I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. Um, but before we jump into the message today, I want to encourage all of us to make sure we're back next Sunday, especially for those of you who are guests, okay? The reason why I say that is our lead pastor, Daniel Berry, will be back with us next Sunday. And um, my guess is he's going to be pretty pumped up uh, for a number of reasons. One is he hasn't spoken in six weeks. Um, two, uh, he's been on sabbatical, so I'm guessing that he's rested and re-energized. Three, we all know how much he loves Christmas, and so this is the first time he's going to get to speak at Christmas. And then you definitely don't want to miss out because I understand he has a beard, and so we want to definitely see what that beard looks like and see if it meshes and fits in or as good as the rest of the staff. So you don't want to miss being here next Sunday, so I hope all of you will make sure that you're here for that. Um, Ten days until Christmas. Does that scare you? Yeah, it does a little bit. Um, Ten days until Christmas. There's so much to love about Christmas. I mean, we get pumped up. We look forward to it. We can't get here soon enough. And then when it's over with, man, we, we can't wait till again the next year. But of all the things that we can love about Christmas, I think one of the things that most people love is the music. Okay? I think most people love Christmas music. Um, the only two people that I know of who don't like Christmas music are the Grinch and Brent Jinks. Those of you who don't know who Brent Jinks is, he's one of the guitar players in our band. I, I don't know how he got on the band if he doesn't like Christmas music, but he's been doing it for a long time. So anyway, um, my wife, Jeannie, is somebody who loves Christmas music, and she starts listening to it a lot of times in October. Um, nowadays, she listens to it at work through Spotify and through Pandora, but used to, we would always get a new CD every year, and she would get the CDs out and start taking them to work. We have in our garage two shoebox fulls full of Christmas CDs. So I was going through them this, going through them this week. And I was looking through to see which ones we had and looking at the ones that she likes and the ones that we got. And uh, I saw in there Johnny Mathis. Anybody know Johnny Mathis? Okay, a few people, all right. Johnny Mathis, there was Michael W. Smith. There was Michael Blue Josh Groban, uh, Amy Grant, Pentatonics, um, And there was She Daisy. But remember she Daisy? And then, believe it or not, Rod Stewart. He has a Christmas album, and Jeannie loves his voice, so we have that. Um, now, one of the other things I found while I was going through the shoeboxes is I found this. Okay? If you don't know what this is, it's a cassette tape. Okay? This is what we used to listen to music on before we got CDs, after eight tracks. Okay? Now, this tape, it says Rick's Christmas Tape. Now, I do not know when I made this, how long ago it was, but I've been listening to it this week because I still have a cassette player in my car. So, as <laughs> I was listening to it and what songs were on there, uh, I noticed a little bit of uh, Stevie Curtis Chapman, Michael Debbie Smith, Home Alone soundtrack, um, a little bit of Mariah Carey, and at the risk of being made fun of, Hanson. Um, <laughs> 
And that's okay. You can go ahead and laugh if you want to, but I think Hanson's Christmas CD snowed in is still pretty good. So if any of you would like to borrow this, you're welcome to it after the service, okay? Now, I don't know what your favorite Christmas music is, who your favorite Christmas artists are, what your favorite Christmas carols are, but for the next few services, today, next Sunday, and Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at what many believe are the very first Christmas carols ever written. They're found in the book of Luke, chapters 1 and 2. There's three of them, and maybe even four by some people's category. There's Mary's song, which is what we're going to look at today. There's Zachariah's song. There's the angel's song. And then some people even include Simeon's song. So we're going to look at those four carols, or those three carols, over the next few services that we have together. Today we're going to be focused on Mary's song. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but no matter what song I listen to, I like to, to listen to the lyrics, and I like to try to understand what they are, for, for one thing, because I often do not get them correct, that's for sure. Uh, but I also like to understand what they mean and why they were written. You know, what was the purpose behind this? What were they trying to say? What experience did they have? And some songs are just fun songs. Some songs are just, you know, simple stories. But a lot of songs are the expressions um, and the experiences of certain encounters that the songwriters had. And so they're kind of sharing with them how their life was touched by this experience or by this encounter with this individual. And so they're expressing that through song. And so I always find that kind of interesting to kind of know the history and the backstory of where the song came from. So before we jump into Mary's song, which is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 56, we want to do a little bit of the backstory because she has two encounters that set up and prompt the song that comes out of her. The first encounter leaves her wondering, confused, but yet trusting. The second encounter, though, unleashes this unbelievable joy and she bursts out in song. So we're going to look at these two encounters to kind of understand a little better what the song really is. So if you have your Bibles, you want to look at that you have it with you, or if you want to follow on the screen, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 38. Listen to what it says. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. 
As we go through this message today and as we contemplate these verses, I want all of us to try to put ourselves in Mary's shoes. Try to understand what she's thinking, what she's feeling, what she must be wondering about as a young woman who now has been given this unbelievable message from the angel Gabriel. As we go through this, try to see if you could understand and try to contemplate what she is thinking and what her experience is. We don't know a whole lot about Mary, but this passage tells us that she is a young woman, probably between the age of 12 and 15. She lived in a town called Nazareth. She was a virgin and was engaged to a guy by the name of Joseph, who probably was a young man himself as well. Now, as we read through that, we need to also understand, we need to do this with any biblical character, but especially right here with Mary, we need to understand that Mary is not different than we are. She had, I'm sure, dreams and hopes and plans. Here she's engaged. I'm sure she was imagining and dreaming about the day when she would have the ceremony and get married officially to Joseph. I'm sure she thought about what it would be like to have a family and what their lives were going to be like, where they were going to live, and what their experiences were going to be. I'm sure she had all those kinds of dreams and plans and hopes, just like all of us do. And by the way, it says here that one day that angel Gabriel shows up and now everything changes. All of a sudden, she is moving right along with her life and then out of the blue, even though it wasn't out of the blue to God, Gabriel shows up and changes everything about her plans and about the direction of her life. What I was going to say is this, by the way, if Gabriel shows up on your doorstep he's there for one of two reasons he's mentioned four times in the scripture twice in daniel and twice here in luke and if he shows up on your doorstep he's there for one of two reasons one he's going to tell you some really cool stuff about the future or somebody in your family is pregnant <laughs> now it's your call whether or not you open the door and let him in okay so i'm just telling you just be prepared he comes and what he does is he tells mary that she is favored by God and that the Lord is with her. Now notice that Mary, I'm sure she was somewhat startled, just like anybody would be, that an angel appears. But notice what she's really perplexed about, what Scripture points out. It's not that the fact that the angel is there, like the shepherds were. The fact that she is troubled is because of the greeting that she receives. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. We don't know what she was thinking, but my guess is she's probably like, what does that mean? I mean, why did God send the angel Gabriel to me particularly? And what in the world is he going to do with me? What does he have in store for me? We don't really know, but the thing that perplexes her the most is this greeting. And she's trying to figure this out. But guess what? Before she can figure it out and she can have any kind of understanding about it, Gabriel unloads on her the bombshell. And he lays it on her, the content of why he is really there. He tells her what God has in store for her and what he's going to do through her. And what it is, is she's going to have a kid. But not just any kid. She's going to have a great kid. She's going to have an extraordinary, magnificent kid who is going to be the son of the Most High. He is one who has come to fulfill God's plan of redemption that's been talked about throughout all of the Old Testament. And he will reign on the throne of David, and he will reign forever and ever. 
Gabriel kind of summarizes the whole life and ministry of Jesus right then and there in that one verse. And he lays all of this on Mary. First of all, you're going to have a kid. Again, she's not married. She's never had sexual relations with a man. So that had to be hard news to embrace. But then not only that, but the kid that you're going to have is the son of the Most High. That had to scare. How in the world am I going to be able to be the mother of the Son of God? How can I do that? Now, on the flip side of that, think about this. There is an upside, okay? Think about this. How many of us in this room who are parents have prayed for the perfect child? Okay? Have, come on, be honest. We've, we've prayed for the perfect child, right? At least we've hoped for it. Even just one day, we've prayed for the perfect child, okay? Mary's the only person who ever gets to experience that. She's got a perfect child. I mean, there's no downside to that, okay? She's got a perfect child. If Mary had a bumper sticker, it would say this, my son created your honor roll student. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I think about sometimes, though, is I think about the children who came after, the brothers of Jesus. How many times did they have to hear, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? <laughs> I don't know. But here, Mary is given this unbelievable news, and even though there is an upside to this, she's also probably thinking about the downside, and that is this. How can I be the mother of the Son of the Most High? How can I do that? This seems like an awful lot of pressure to raise the Savior of the world. But either way you look at it, here's one thing we know for sure. Mary's world is turned upside down. All of her plans and all of her dreams and all of her hopes, all of her expectations of what things were going to happen for her life are now out the window. Nothing is the same. Gabriel has just disrupted everything. And now everything was up in the air. Now she has to think to herself, if this is true, this is really going to happen to me, how is Joseph and my family going to respond? How are my friends and the people in my social setting going to look at me? And then, am I really capable of being a mom? The mom of the Son of God? Am I really up to that task? Can I really do that? She didn't know how any of this kind of stuff would play out. She doesn't understand what this is all about, but she asked a very logical question here. And what is the question she asked? How can this happen? Because I've never had sexual relations with a man. And I think you have to have a man involved in order to have a kid. So she's like, how is this going to happen? It's a very logical, normal question. To which Gabriel looks at her and goes, Mary, this is a God thing. He's got this. This is not on you. This is not anything you need to worry about. This is not anything you have to do. This is all on God. And he goes on to say, God's spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One will be called the Son of God. This is a God thing that's going to happen. And how does Mary respond? She's still not totally sure that what to think about all this. But what does she do? She goes, okay. Okay, I'm the Lord's servant. May what you just said, may it happen. May the word of God be done. She's wondering, she's confused, she's perplexed, yet at the same time, she still steps out in trust. So she's closer to accepting this news, but she's not there yet, okay? One of the things that I love about God is the fact that God is always working to build up our faith. I don't know if you know that or not, 
God is always right alongside of us, encouraging us, giving us pep talks, just like a personal trainer, pushing us, challenging us, rebuking us when we need to, always trying to help us to build up our faith. When God calls you and he calls me and he asks us to do certain things that we don't understand or things that we don't want to do or things that are going to mess up our plans and our agenda for our life, God is constantly coming alongside saying, hey, I got this. This is a good plan. I'm going to use you. You may not understand it, but I got this. And he reassures us over and over and over again. One of my favorite examples of this is in the book of Joshua. Joshua was going to lead the people of Israel into the Holy Land. Moses was not allowed to. He dies. The rain is given over to Joshua. Joshua now is going to have to lead two million plus people who are a bunch of whiners and complainers to go into the promised land. If I was Joshua, I would have resigned and let somebody else have it. He saw all of that. He experienced all that. And yet, when you look at Joshua 1, there are four different times when God says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you, man. You are not doing this on your own. I am using you. I am working through you. I am leading you. I got this. So just be strong and courageous. Don't worry about it. It's in my hands. You just do what I tell you to do. I love that kind of encouragement that God gives us. He's constantly reassuring us. And look what he does for Mary. Mary's been given it an unimaginable testimony of what's going to happen to her. She can't comprehend it. Nobody could comprehend it. It's unbelievable what she's been told is going to happen and what God is going to do through her. So what does God do? He comes alongside of her. He gives her first an explanation. It's not a full explanation. He gives her enough so that she can understand. God does that for us. He gives us enough to help us to build our faith. He doesn't give us all the details. He doesn't explain everything fully, but he gives us what we need so that our faith can grow, so that we can trust him and step out. This is still beyond her comprehension, but he gives her an explanation. Then not only that, but what else does he give her? He gives her an example he gives her as an example to consider as proof that conception miracles do occur. We just got through singing about God is a way maker, a miracle worker. And now he's saying, okay, Mary, I know you got doubts, you got questions, but here's an example to look to. Your relative Elizabeth, who is very old and everybody calls her childless and says you're not going to have a kid, guess what? She's six months pregnant. He wants her to see God at work in action. And that if he can bring a child to Elizabeth, he can do the same thing through her. He wants to encourage her. And then he gives her not only an explanation and an example, but he gives her an encouraging word. What does he tell her? He quotes a passage of scripture. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. There's a reference to that over in Genesis chapter 18. For nothing will be impossible with God. And basically what he's saying is this to try to help her to say, focus on this truth. Don't ever forget it. Ground yourself in it and hold on to it, okay? And that's this. God specializes in doing the unthinkable. He specializes in doing the unpredictable. And he specializes in doing the unimaginable. God is immutable, but he is not predictable. Did you catch that? God is immutable, but he's not predictable. What I mean by that is this. God's character and essence and attributes never change, but you cannot put God in a box. 
And I love that fact about God because what that tells me is God is not hindered or limited in any way, by any circumstance, by anything or any person. Catch that? God will accomplish his plans. He will do it for his glory and he will do it for our good. And even though Mary doesn't understand all of it here, the first encounter that she has with Gabriel leaves her believing, you know what? I don't understand it. I don't really know for sure how this is going to play out, but I believe that God's salvation has come and in some way God is going to use me to bring that about. This brings us to her second encounter. Gabriel already mentioned Elizabeth as an example for her to look to. So he's kind of pointing her in the direction. So you know what Mary does? Look what it says in verse 39 to 45. Look what it says. It says, In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what she has spoken to her. God points her to go visit Elizabeth. She hurries off. It's about 50 to 60 miles away from Nazareth to the hill country of Judah. It's about a four to five day journey, but she takes off and she goes and she's got to find out, man, is my relative really pregnant? Did this thing actually happen that Gabriel told me about? And if it is true, then she's the one person I can talk to who will understand what I'm going through. So she rushes off, and immediately they greet each other. And so because she's six months, Mary can automatically see what? It did happen. What Gabriel said is true. She really is pregnant. She didn't just gain a bunch of weight. She really is pregnant. So that reaffirms. Again, I want you to see something. God is continually reassuring Mary that what I just told you through my angel Gabriel will happen. And I want you to be reassured of that. So when you see Elizabeth, you'll know that, man, I do what I say I'm going to do. And sure enough, Elizabeth was pregnant. That reaffirmed it for her. Not only that, but then when Mary comes into the presence, guess what happens? A unique thing. It's one of my favorite things in this passage of Scripture. And that is what? Elizabeth baby leaps for joy inside her womb that just blows me away every time i think about it every time i read that i mean we've all well those of us who are men have felt it from the outside those of you who are women have felt it from the inside but we've all experienced the kicking and the moving and it's such a cool feature it's such a cool thing that happens when there's a pregnancy but i can't imagine what it's like it says the baby leaped for joy it's almost like he gave a prenatal high five I mean, he leaps for joy. Why? Because the Bible tells us in the prophecy to Zechariah, we'll look at next week, that John the Baptist is the child. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's filled in the womb. So even in the womb, at six months old, he recognizes that Mary is here, and Mary is carrying the Son of God. And he leaps for joy. That is what his whole ministry was about. If you look at John 3, 29, it says that, man, I am the friend of the bridegroom, and then when the bridegroom shows up, man, all I do is rejoice. And guess what? The bridegroom has now showed up, so my joy is complete. His whole ministry, beginning in the womb, all the way through his whole life, was to point people to Jesus, and every time people saw Jesus, he was full of joy. That's what John the Baptist did. So by leaping, it gave Mary another reassurance. This is truly the Son of God. And then 
Look what happens to Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and guess what she does? I mean, she just bursts forth and erupts with this enthusiastic shout. I mean, it's just an eruption of enthusiasm and cheering and celebration and shouting. Kind of like when you go to a Purdue basketball game and somebody on the team hits a three, or when Tommy Luce comes in the game, there's an eruption. I don't know which is greater, but there's an eruption of celebration. There is a shout that goes on in the same way it's here. She shouts loudly, and what does she shout? She shouts out four blessings. Mary, you're blessed. You're blessed among all women. Why? Because of who your child is. In that day and time, in that culture, a woman's greatness was determined based upon the greatness of her child. And what Elizabeth tells Mary is this, you're the greatest of all women. Why? Because your child is the greatest of all children. And even though her own child, the Bible tells us, was said was going to be great, she recognizes that Mary is superior because Mary's child is superior to her child. And she blesses Mary and says, Mary, man, you are blessed among all women because of who your child is. Then she blesses the child. The child is the most blessed person, period. And then she says, I'm blessed because the mother of my Lord has come. And basically by her saying that, referring to Jesus, referring to Mary as the mother of my Lord, what she's basically confirming is what? That the Lord indeed is the child in Mary's womb. She's confirming to her that this truly is God in the flesh. And then one more time, she just blesses, she says, blessed are you who believe that what God says will come true. That's not only true for Mary, but that's for anybody. These three things just sealed the deal for Mary. I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden, man, it unlocked an expression of emotion and celebration because now it was settled in her heart. What Gabriel told her that confused her, perplexed her, she didn't understand. Now, man, she knew it was going to happen. And she didn't know how things were going to play out. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know what was going to happen as far as her relationship with Joseph. She didn't know any of that. But what mattered was she now knew that what God had told her through the angel Gabriel would happen. She's convinced. I love that again about God. God calls us, leads us, asks us to do things that don't make sense that we don't want to do. They're strange. We can't understand it. But yet he comes alongside and every step of the way, man, he's reassuring us encouraging us, hey, I got this. This is me. I'm leading you. Don't doubt it. This is what's going to happen. And he did that for Mary here. And so the second encounter happens, and it now takes away that questioning. Now it's settled for her. It's going to happen. And so she bursts forth in song. She bursts forth in song. Something you can take note of on your own, but in 1 Samuel chapter 2, this is very similar to Hannah's song. Hannah couldn't have a child. She was made fun of because of that. But then when God gave her a child, man, you see some of the same expressions right here. It's not an exact quote, but it's just kind of interesting that Mary probably was familiar with that scripture, that story. And one of the things that came out of her praise was automatically the scripture from what she had read about Hannah. And so you see that here. But I want you to notice that Mary's expression is what she feels in her heart. You see the very first thing is what she is feeling. It's not misery and despair, though, okay? You would think that maybe that might have been the tone of this song. Why? Because her whole world had been turned upside down. Her plans had been changed. Nothing is going to be the same anymore, and she could have been depressed about that, but she wasn't. 
it was not a tone of misery and despair, but it was a tone of celebration and joy. She was no longer facing, focused on facing the challenges and the uncertainty, but she was focusing on the greatness of God. God's got this. This is a part of his plan, and he's going to do it, and he's going to take care of it, and so I'm going to focus on his greatness and his capability of doing it instead of focusing on the challenges and uncertainty that I have. That's why she is able to have feelings of celebration and of joy. God is great, and he is my Savior. That's what her focus is. And so therefore, man, she's got this exuberant joy. She can't contain it. She just kind of burst out in this song because that's how she is feeling because of what God's done for her. That's pretty amazing to think that she got this news and now she is just full of unbelievable celebration and joy because God has affirmed to her, hey, this is my doing and I will do it through you. And then she goes on and look at what it says in this Verse 46 to verse 56, real quick, as we look at the, sto- uh, the song, it says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then he re- she returned to her home. Notice here, we see, again, in verse 46 and 47, just the expression of her heart, the feelings that she has, just the tone of this song. But then she goes on to give the reasons for it. And the main reason is found right there in verse 48. Because he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. She focuses on what God has done. And what God has done was he has poured out his grace upon her. First of all, he notices her. That's a big deal in and of itself. She is a lowly person. She doesn't think she has any worth. She's not a person of reputation, but yet God notices her. God not only notices her, but he notices her humble spirit, her humble attitude. And because of that, he chooses her, and he makes her name great. He does great things for her, and he brings salvation to her because she reflects on God being her Savior. You see here that she is overwhelmed by the grace of God. Mary recognized the worth of her own soul by recognizing the worth of the one within her. She glorified God, and her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. She was fully aware of the grace of God. God looked at me. He didn't have to do that. And when he looked at me, he poured out his favor upon me. He chose me, not because of anything in me, but simply because he chose to do it. And she's overwhelmed by that grace. And man, that just causes her to just be full of joy and celebration. Not only that, but then she goes on in the verses of 50 through 53 to say, hey, you know what's really neat about this too? Is that this is God's normal mode of operation. God does not respond to the proud and the great of this world. In fact, it says here that God overthrows the rulers. God throws down the proud. He scatters them. By the way, one of the things I read was, that some countries outlawed this very song and this very passage of Scripture. You know why? 
because they saw this particular part of the song as a threat to their power. They thought it would incite a riot, and so they no longer allowed people to sing it or to say it. This happened in one example in 1980 in Guatemala. Pretty amazing. Not talking about people here. We're talking about God. This is something God does. God does not respond to the proud. He resists the proud. He opposes the proud. He throws down the people who set themselves up above God. But what does he do on the flip side? This is the cool thing that Mary noticed, is that he takes up the cause of the underdog, and he exalts the lowly, and he gives mercy to those who fear him. That's what God does. That is his way of doing things. That is who he is. And man, she's excited about that because it is true for everyone, but she also says, that is true of me. I was a lonely person, and God has exalted me. And then the last thing that she praises God for is the fact that God is faithful. He keeps his promises, and we sing about that in the song as well. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises to Israel. He keeps his promises to Abraham. Abraham, he keeps his promises to David that somebody would come through your line who would bring salvation and would complete God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. And she praises God for being faithful to keep his promises. Again, I want you to go back as we close this out and as we think about what has happened to Mary and what her expression is here in her song. Put yourself in her shoes. And ask yourself this question. Is God asking you to do something that you don't understand and that's going to mess up with your plans? Is God asking you to do something right now that you're resisting because it doesn't fit into your dreams and your hopes and your plans or it's something that you don't understand? Second of all, ask yourself this. How is God building up your faith so that you will step out and trust him more? God does so many different things. It could be a word of scripture. It could be a Christian brother who just kind of gives you an encouraging word. It could be a song that you sing. Whatever it is, God does so many different ways to build up our faith. What is God doing in your life and in my life to build up our faith so that we will step out and trust him more? And then the last thing I want you to think about is this. Does the grace of God and his salvation still cause your soul to celebrate with joy? Or have we heard the story too many times that it no longer affects us? We know all the details of the Christmas story. We know the details of the gospel. Have we heard it so many times that it no longer moves us or touches us? Mary, man, when she experienced the grace of God, it caused an outburst of joy. Does the grace of God and the salvation that God brings us, does it still cause our soul to celebrate? I want us to understand something. Mary understood the why of Christmas. Mary understand, understood that she was a sinner in need of a Savior. We all know the what of Christmas, but the why of Christmas is because every one of us is a sinful person separated from God and is in need of a Savior. Look at what it says in Luke 2.11, the verse that we're all familiar with. What does it say there in Luke 2.11? Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, who is the Messiah of the Lord. Unto you, a Savior is born. God has provided a Savior for you and for me. That's the why of Christmas. We need a Savior. Mary recognized that. She saw that. She humbly put herself at the mercy of God. And she received his grace because she recognized that, that she needed a Savior. 
Today we're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper. We're going to be sharing communion together. It is a perfect opportunity for us to focus on the why of Christmas. Jesus came for one reason, and that is to shed his blood, to give his body as a sacrifice for our sins, to save us from our sins. That's why he came. And that's what we celebrate when we share the Lord's Supper together. In just a few moments, the deacons are going to pass around the two cups. One has a cracker, one has juice. They represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They are the why of Christmas. Mary understood it. She recognized her need for God's grace and what he did through Jesus. I hope every one of us in here understands that as well. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Then after the deacons bring you the cups, just keep that until we partake of the Lord's Supper together as a congregation. Father, right now, I just want to thank you so much for being the God that you are. You are a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. God, thank you for the way you worked in Mary and how it encourages us and teaches us. God, help us to trust you. Help us to be overwhelmed once again by your grace and your mercy, your salvation. And may it cause a song to burst up within our soul. God, help us once again to be moved by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The reason why he came was to be our Savior and he gave his life for that. God, I pray you'd help us to understand that anew. And as we take the Lord's Supper together today, Lord, that we will in a new way remember what you did for us through your son, Jesus. Father, right now, I pray that you'd be honored through this time that we have together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.